Today's learning is going to be the Sicha on the twenty on the volume seventeen in Lakute Sichos, and it's the Rebbe's talk on the end of the fifth chapter of the Pirkei Avos of Ethics of Our Fathers, and we're, he's actually going to make a what's called a Siyum, which is a conclusion, like a conclusion learning of a whole tractate, gives us a special understanding and learning about the significance of a whole book, of a whole tractate, of a whole Mishnah. And we're going to get some insights on the end of Pirkei Avot. So the first thing to recognize is that even though we call it that the ethics of our father's Pirkei Avot, we say has six chapters, but really, if you really uh, dig a little deeper, you get to realize that really the book of Pirkei Avos really is five chapters. and But we added a sixth subject to the five chapters. So really it's five chapters called the Mishnah and the sixth chapter is actually called a Brisa. A Brisa is a later on found uh, uh, learnings from the sages but it was found later, so it's called the Brisa, and it's technically considered to be, in some ways, one degree less than a Mishnah, like comes after. So we call it a Brisa. So there's the five chapters of the Mishnah, and the sixth chapter is the Brisa. The, so the conclusion, if you want to make a concluding learning depth about the end of the Mishnah, you would really do it at the end of chapter 5. Now, this particular siyum of this of the book, the conclusion of this book of Pirkei Avos of the Mishnah, is actually a fabrengin that the Rebbe spoke during the winter time on a Yud Shvat fabrengin in 1979, and it continued this subject for three fabrengins on the Yud Shvat fabrengin. Three days later, on the 13th of Shvat, which was a Saturday night, those days because of the Rebbe's uh, recovering from his heart attack, he did the Shabbos for bringing Saturday night. And then a couple day, two days later, on the 15th of Shvat, he made another for bringing, and he continued the subject of this conclusion, of this tractate of Pirkei Avos. And he says over there, in that for bringing, he says why he's making a siyum, a conclusion of the tractate of Pirkei Avos, during that time of the year. So he said, because the Yud Shvat is the passing date of the previous Rebbe, who was the leader of the Jewish world at the time, and therefore who is a Hasidic leader, so he wanted to have a tractate of Mishnah that's called the Hasidic tractate, because we learned already many times that the Pirkei Avos is all about the beyond the letter of the law ideas. And a chassid and chassidus means teaching us how to go deeper and live even with more quality of beyond just the minimal requirements. So that's basically the idea why he chose to do it on this particular uh, tractate. So in the end of chapter 5, he says an interesting Mishnah, just to also preface that if you were to look later into a chapter 5 of Pirkei Avos, you're going to find a different Mishnah after this Mishnah, 
And he explains in the footnotes of why that Mishnah came into place, but really, it's not even part of chapter 5. It was only brought in as a conclusion to the whole tractate, so they brought down that Mishnah about the, the, you know, the year thing. Five years, you should do the Chumash. Ten, you're, you're fit for Mishnah. Thirteen to do Mitzvahs. Fifteen for Gemara, and so on. To a hundred and to a hundred. But the point is that the, the actual original concluding Mishnah reads the following. There was a sage, his name was Hey Hey. Okay? Ben Hey Hey, they called him, the son of Hey Hey. Who he was, we're going to find out a little bit later. For now, just leave it in your mind that he was a convert, and we called him Ben Hey Hey. Why and how did he get this name? We'll, we'll learn that later. First, let's learn what he said. And then we're going to learn, this, once we understand what he said, then we're going to be able to appreciate of who he is and what his name is. So the first thing that ben, that, ben, that we're going to learn is, what did Ben Hey Hey said? Ben means the son, Hey Hey. Hey Hey said the following. He said, Lefum Tsara Agra. These are Aramaic words. That if you translate into English, it means according to the pain is the gain. Okay, that's his quote. That's it. It stops there. According to the pain is the gain. And this is a saying that many, many people know this by heart, his quote, because it's a, it doesn't need much explanation. It's a powerful quote. You tell a young parent, as an example, I'm using my own example here, but if you tell a young parent that according to the pain that you have in raising your children, and you so much pain gotten you into sleep, money, aggravation, fighting with them, and who knows what, but according to the pain, that's how much gain you're going to have. That's how much reward you're going to have. So don't feel so bad if it's that much pain, because the more pain, the more gain. So that's what he said. Now, the commentary on the Mishnah called the Bar Tanura. The Bar Tanura is the the uh, famous sage that lived in Bar Tanura, which I believe is in Italy. And he lived over there and he wrote a famous commentary on the Mishnah, very, very well accepted commentary. Mostly he actually uh, quotes the words of Rashi from different places to, in other words, to really understand Mishnah, you really need the Bartanur. He like when you you use Rashi on the Chumash, you kind of need the Bartanur for Mishnah. He's like it, it to get a basic, simple understanding of the reading of a Mishnah, you need the Bartanur. So the Bartanur explains there that according to the major amount of pain that you will endure in learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, that's what we're talking about over here. In other words, in your connections with Hashem, the more pain, the more tsar a person has in your learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, according to that will be your amazing reward. In other words, if you have a lot of pain in learning Torah, you go through a lot of aggravation to learn Torah, you're going to have an amazing amount of reward for that amount of pain. So when Ben Hehe says, according to the pain is the gain, that's what it's talking about. More pain to learn Torah and do mitzvahs, more, more reward. Now this idea says, now here comes the Rebbe's part. 
That's the simple Mishnah. But the Rebbe says this idea of getting reward for doing a mitzvah is actually an obligation in Jewish law. In Jewish law, you have to get you have to get payment for doing mitzvahs, as if there is proof from what the Rambam says in his code of Jewish law. The Rambam, who's you know the the authority of Jewish law, he says, and he and he explains it with many details that you have that Hashem has to pay people for doing their, his mitzvahs. He asked you to do mitzvahs. He asked you to learn Torah. He's going to pay you for it. And the Rambam says that actually Hashem paying you for learning Torah and do mitzvahs, in other words, paying you, meaning giving you your reward, is just like an employer paying his employee. You have to pay up your due. So what's the novelty of Ben Heihei's saying that according to the pain is the gain, the reward? What's his what's the novelty? So what he's telling you is that the reward is measured against the pain, not on the doing of the deed. Doing of the deed, you're going to get reward for it. But in the doing, there's efforts involved. It's the effort part that if there's more effort, that's what he's talking about. Therefore, when a person has, it it comes easy for him to learn Torah or do mitzvahs, so you're still going to get reward, but you're not going to get the big reward. The big reward is when there is effort that was put into it. Okay, so that's the simple understanding, says the Rebbe. He says, I have a question here. Rewards for doing a mitzvah, initially, the way mitzvahs were presented to us in this world, it was to begin with set in a way that it requires effort. It requires pain and a lot of work. And he brings three proofs to this that we could see that the Torah, to begin with, was set up in such a way. It was set up in a way that it's going to require effort and work and pain. For example, we have in this week's parsha. It says in the second parsha that we have two double parsha. It starts off saying, "If you will follow my statues," and the commentaries point out, what does it mean? It means statues here means Torah, and following it, going in its way means toiling in the Torah. And so meaning not just learning Torah. Learning Torah alone, that's not enough. That you should have the next verse, which is the, the reward. I'll give you your reign on time for your fields. In other words, I'll give you your, your, your salary on time. No, it says you have to toil in the learning. Learning simple, easy is not counted. It has to be toil. So you see clearly that you have to work hard. And as the sages put it based on another verse that says that there is a servant to God and there's a no, a non-servant to God. What does it mean? A servant and a non-servant. If a servant gets the job done and a non-servant gets the job done, what's the difference? Why do we call one person an oivet? He works hard and the other guy not hard. So it says like this, the person that learns Torah 100 times, he's considered to be a layavdu. 
that's not called work. You're not a real loyal servant to God if you only review your studies 100 times. But the guy who reviews his studies 101 times, that's called a servant to God. You're a real hard worker. The 101 time. And Dr. Rebbe, by the way, explains this in the Tanya based on the story of the idea that they had a, a, a they used to rent uh, donkeys. And the first 10, um, let's call it parsois, which is whatever, let's say 30 miles, somewhere around that. The first 10 parsois of, of distance, they charged you, I'm going to use an example, of, it doesn't matter the exact number, though, they charged you, let's say, $10 to rent a donkey. But if up until 10, up until 10, uh, 10 parsas. But if you took it, the 11th parsha, parsa distance, the fee became $20. Why? Why for one more parsa, the whole fee doubles? So I'll explain to Tanya because the donkeys were used to walking distances of 10 parsas. So the moment you make it go out of its normal, usual routine, levels of working hard, it's now in a whole new category. So once it goes into a new category, even if it's just a little bit to the 11th parcel, you have to pay double. So to here, a person that learns Torah 100 times, you're considered to be a routine person. That's not called working hard. If you learn 101 times for that extra one, that means you broke yourself that you get much extra reward. So again, you see from this here that the Torah was set up in a way that we have to work hard. It's all about work. In order to be called a servant of God, you have to actually do the extra mile, the 101 time, the work hard. And a third uh, verse uh, source to this is, it says in the verse, V'nefesh kisakri. When it, when it comes to a poor man who has to bring an offering and he doesn't have any money to bring a proper offering in the temple. So it says over there, instead of calling him a poor man, we call him the soul that brings this offering. In other words, you're only able to afford an offering of flour. You can't, you can't afford animals or birds. You're only able to do flour. Okay? So it says that a person that was so poor and all you were able to afford was a donation of, of, a, of some flour, it says, I... Because the verse doesn't call you poor, it calls you the nefesh, like the whole essence of you gave this donation of this minchas ani, the poor man flower. I consider it as if you gave your entire existence as an offering to God. In other words, we're, we're, even though something may sound little or it's insignificant, if for you it's a, it's a lot, that means your entire existence was in it. So again, you see the point that when it comes to Torah mitzvahs, Hashem, to begin with, made it in a way that it must have effort. And so too, by the way, he brings down regarding an employer and his worker. When it says that an employer has to pay his worker for benefits that he gets, it's talking about an interesting scenario. It's talking about in certain cases, you have to give your worker extra money. What does that mean? Normally, if you make up a deal with your, your worker, this is what you do. This is what you get paid per hour, per month, whatever it is, your, your arrangement with your, with your employee. So that's it. Uh, if he does good, <laughs> of course he's supposed to do good. That's why you hired the person to do good. 
But what happens if the employer, the owner of a field, let's say, never told his worker, I want you to go in and plant this extra whatever for me. The worker on his own went and did it on his own. In other words, he planted something in his in his boss's field without permission even. So the law is that you have to pay him for the benefits that you got. You're right, you don't have to pay him for his time. But let's just say that your field was worth $10,000. The fact that he added that one tree, your field is now worth $11,000. So you have to give him that $1,000 because your property now is worth more. You don't have to pay him the $200 for the day's labor, but you have to pay him the benefit that you got out of it because he did it on his own. Or another example is, let's say you told him, the, 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 the owner told him, I want you to paint my fence or whatever it is that I want. I want you to paint it red. And he went and painted it black. Or I wanted him to paint it black and he painted it red. Right? Or if he did it on purpose, that he painted it a certain color that I have no benefit to it. Then I don't have to pay him for that. Because that's talking about there's no benefit for me. I for sure don't have to pay pay him for his time. But if he did it in a way that I'm not happy about it because I didn't ask him to paint it like that. He painted it the wrong color. But if it added to the value of the property, you would have to pay him for that extra value that you got. Now, however, if an employee, these are very important employer-employee laws here because we mentioned Again, let's not forget this point. That's why before we don't get carried, don't get lost here. Ben Hehe said that Hashem will pay you always according to your pain. He will give you the gain. He'll give you the reward. So according to the amount that you worked. And we see in the laws of employer-employee deals, you have to pay your worker. And even if he did it without your permission or he did what you asked him to do, but he did it wrong, you still have to pay him for the gain that you got out of it. Now here's another scenario. What happens if the worker did what his boss asked him to do? But it could be that nothing was gained out of it. And he brings you an example. Let's say I hired a worker. Let's say I hired an Uber driver and I said, here's a medicine. I want you to deliver it at this and this person's house. The person is sick. He needs this medicine. And the driver went, delivered the medicine. But the time he got to the patient, the patient had died already. So since, since the person did the job as you asked him to do it, he did his job 100%. You asked him to deliver the medicine and he did it. There was some other side reason that there was no gain out of the work that was done. The law is that you have to give him the reward for doing what he, what you asked him to do. So you see that there are certain scenarios that you'll still have to pay. Whether you pay him the principal, whether you pay him the gain.
So what's not understood here is since in our case, a Jew does the job, the shlichus, the message that God asked you to do to study Torah and do mitzvahs, and you did as much as you can studying Torah and doing mitzvahs, and even more, the job was accomplished. Of course, it came with a lot of work. I had to travel hard for it. You had to pay a lot of money for tefillin. You had to pay, I'm giving these examples. You had to pay a lot of money for a little of an esterig, for matzah, you know, right? Or all this kind of stuff. So you did it. There was, there was work and exhaustion or pain even involved. The rule is you have to pay your worker his wage 100%. So if that's the case that you have to pay him, no matter what, what is the novelty of Ben Hayhe's statement that according to the amount of pain that you have in doing Torah mitzvahs, that's how much reward Hashem is going to give you. I don't need his statement. That is Jewish practice, Jewish law. And if Hashem asked us to do things, and we did it, of course he has to pay us the full amount, every piece of profit that he gains out of it. If Hashem asks us to do it, clearly he's gaining. That's why he wants us to do it. So that's the first strong question that we have. Now, he continues, regarding these laws of exertion, of doing the work of a a worker, that a worker does work, and the work that he does, that was an outcome of his master's request to him to do it, he hired him, and even if he did the work, it was done in a way that he, uh, he fulfilled what his boss asked him to do. It, it, meaning it could be even in a way that he did completely the job and he fulfilled it. But it could happen that not always have you fulfilled it exactly the way your master asked you to do it? That's possible to happen in cases where an employer asks his worker to do something. It could be, it won't get accomplished 100%. But in our case, the pain from doing Torah mitzvahs is not a separate thing of a, of a gain that's coming out of the mitzvah. Like the Rambam points out, in his commentary on the Mishnayis. The Rambam has what's called the Shemayna Prakim on the Mishnayis. And over there he explains lots of interesting things about the, the Mishnah. And over there he says like this. A person that has strong desire to sin. You're yearning like crazy. You just, you're you just want to sin. It is more precious to Hashem when you overcome your desire and you don't do it, then a person who to begin with doesn't have that strong desire to sin. A person who didn't go through any pain to do the mitzvah, you can't compare that person to the person who went through a lot of pain to do that mitzvah. Right? So, continues the Rambam, that the reward that Hashem wants to give such a person is much greater when you compare it to the amount of pain that you have to go through. As our quote, 
according to the pain, you're going to get more gain, more reward. And the Rambam continues that a person should never walk around saying, you see this, this sinful, let's call it, you know, non-kosher food. I'm not allowed to touch it. I can, I'm not allowed to eat it. Don't say I'm not allowed to eat it. You should say I'm allowed to eat it. But what should I do that God in heaven, my father in heaven told me not to eat it. In other words, if you walk around, I have no, no desire for it. Your reward's going to be very minimal. But if you really feel that you technically could eat it, it's available, it's in front of me. I have the money I can afford to buy it. And nevertheless, you're not going to do it because Hashem said not to. There, Hashem gets a lot of nachas. He gives you more reward. So according to this, it's even more not understood what is the novelty of the idea that Ben Hehe said, that according to the pain, you're going to get more gain. I don't understand. That's not a new thing. This is an old Jewish idea from all over the place. And you can't even say that the, the Ben Hayes statement is the source to the whole concept of more pain, you're going to get more gain because this is a known idea from all over in the Torah. That if you struggle to do the mitzvah and you do it anyways, it's a much greater, it's much more precious to Hashem. So He'll reward you even greater. So what is the novelty of this ben Hayes statement? So to explain this, he goes on to explain like this. When it says, according to the pain, you, is the gain, what it's telling you is regular pain, or every pain, or true pain even, in other words, pain that's not mixed with any pleasure. Such a kind of pain in doing Torah and mitzvahs that the person does, you're not obligated to go through this extra level of pain to do a mitzvah. So when do you go through extra pain? When you decided on your own, I'm so committed to do this mitzvah or to go to that class, I'm even willing to... You know, buy a new computer to do it on Zoom. So I should have a reliable connection, right? So in other words, you decided you wanted to go extra. Technically, you can learn by yourself, but you want to do even more. You want to do it better. You want to do it more proper and so on. That means it's a self-imposed pain. That's why when it says in the Mishnah, according to the Tsar, where is this brought down? in the end of the Pirkei Avis, where the, what's the whole thing of Pirkei Avis? As we said, they're all words of Hasidus, meaning it's all ideas of a people that want to go beyond the letter of the law. So you're willing to go beyond the letter of the law to even if it requires some suffering to learn Torah or do mitzvahs, even when it's not the normal thing for you. As we see, Let's talk about now the author of this statement. His name is Ben Hehe. What kind of name is Hehe? So it's fascinating. He pulls it out from the commentaries on the Mishnayas that say like this. This man was a convert. He wasn't born Jewish. And we gave him a name, Hehe. He is the letter He. Not an English He. The letter He. Right? Hey, now there were two people 
that we added a hey to their name. Abraham and Sarah. Abram's name was Avram, and then it became Avraham. We added the hey. Sarai became Sarah. We added a hey. Now, in the, by the way, in the edited version of the Sicha, it doesn't say the following thing, but I heard it in the audio today. I was listening to the Rebbe's Fabrengen. And over there, he added another pointer. He said that the first people to make converts was Avram and Sarah. They educated people to convert to Judaism. So they're like, you know, the father and the mother. So if you want to give a name to a person who's a convert, it's a great name. Call them with the two hey's. Hey, hey. And he brings down in the footnote that there are commentaries that say that this was during a period of time when Hey Hey lived that if the word would get out to the government that this Gentile converted to become Judaism to Jew, to become a Jew, it could have been trouble for him. So to this, to, so to keep it discreet, we gave him a, a nickname that who would really know what that means. If you're going to call the guy, his name was Jonathan. Now you're going to call him Reb Yoynison. You know they'll know what's going on, right? So therefore, I'm giving an example. So they called him with a name that nobody really knew what this really hinted to. But really, hey, hey means the convert. We gave him the name of hey, hey. In other words, why is this relevant here? Because we're talking about a Gentile that has no obligation to convert to Judaism. Converting to Judaism ain't easy. Not just the conversion process is difficult, challenging. There can be a lot of pain involved. I'm not talking even just about that. Just the fact to accept upon yourself, to live a life with so many limitations that a Jew has to live, with living a life Torah mitzvahs, that's an unbelievable undertaking of pain. He's taking upon himself all the challenges that come with doing Torah mitzvahs. Therefore, you would think, there's room to think. And like the, the Talmudic way of saying there's room to think is, you could have a hava amina. You could think that for such a kind of pain, you don't deserve any reward. Only for the benefit that you're doing, you should get reward just for doing the Torah and the mitzvahs. Just like a worker who does a job for you that you never asked him to do, you don't have to pay him for his, for his time. We said before, you only have to pay him for benefit that you got out of it, but not for his time. You're not obligated. So you would think that since this convert undertook to go through the pain on his own, nobody told him to do this. So you did a tire, you learned tire, you did a mitzvah, no problem, we're going to give you a word, but I'm not going to pay you for your extra pain that you undertook on your own. That's why, since it's possible that you could think that, that's why the Mishnah has to come and tell you, no, we're going to give reward even for the effort and the pain that you were never obligated to undertake that pain and you did it on your own. We're going to give you reward even for that pain that you, if, once you undertook it. As a matter of fact, interesting to note that for a convert, this is his whole existence. But really, you have the same concept. In other words, the whole existence of a convert is that he undertakes. He, she, the convert undertakes 
the commitment of to go through pain, suffering, to, you know, to undertake all these limitations you never had to do. But by a born Jew, the hider mitzvah, go the extra mile that you go to do a mitzvah even in a better way, even in a more beautified way. Technically, you can get away with a minimal way of doing the mitzvah. But you went now and you're undertaking to do something what's called hider mitzvah, the extra beautifying of a mitzvah. Or to do it something with an extra good custom. Or you're being appointed to some position of a, of a community of holiness that you're undertaking all these things on your own, which is the same idea like a convert who undertakes us all, all these good ideas on his own. Now, it's possible you could ask a question. And the Rebbe says, let's pause with a question. When a person works his friend's field, then if the owner of the field revealed his desire, and he says, you know what? I really like this. You know, you built that gazebo for me. You know, I'm just, you know, you did something to my field, to my property, to my something. I actually really like it. Ah. In that case, actually, you have to pay him for his time too, even though he didn't ask you to do it. If you did it and the owner says, ah, you know what? Actually, I really like this thing. It's not just that my property value went up because what you did. I actually like what you did. If that's the case, this, this is the law. Well, if when you look at the law and you say, if this is the law, that you have to, if once you're satisfied with the guy that did it, even though you never asked him to do it, you have to pay him also for his time. In that case, we come back to our original question. Since obviously Hashem is happy when you go the extra mile to do a mitzvah, hider mitzvah, to do a mitzvah even more than just your minimal requirement. You went the extra mile to do it well. Let's just say an esro, right? You could pick the bottom line kosher esro and that's it. Or you could spend the extra $10 and buy a little bit better esro. Ah, you went hinder mitzvah, right? A lot of people spend money to have a kiddush cup. You want a silver cup, not just a paper cup. Even a glass cup. You want to spend more money to beautify the mitzvah more. Or you have Shabbos candlesticks, right? You make it even more beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, obviously, Hashem is like that owner of the field the, where, where you come on your own. I never told you to enhance my field. You went on my, your own and you did it, but now I love it. I have to pay you for your time. So obviously, Hashem has to pay us every time we go beyond the letter of the law. Hashem has to give us extra reward for that too. Well, if that's the case, then what's Ben Hay's novelty of the principle that he says, according to the pain, is more gain. If the whole thing of paying reward is because you have to pay like you pay a worker, Hashem would pay his worker too for the extra, for the extra mile that you went for going beyond the letter of the law. So then that's, that's law. We keep on reminding ourselves that Pirkei Avos is about beyond the letter of the law. So what is Ben Hayhay's great idea of this statement that if you got more pain, you'll get more reward? I don't need you to tell me this, Ben Hayhay. I know this already because that's the Jewish law when it comes to hiring workers. If your worker stayed over time and he did a good job, if he enhanced the project, you owe him more for that, just the enhancement. But if you actually love what he did, you have to pay him even for the first time. So to explain this, he says, let's go a little bit 
more, let's understand a little bit better, even more, what does it mean doing pain for a Torah and mitzvah that I'm not obligated to do it? For example, what we said, like we just said, Hidr mitzvah, beautifying the mitzvah extra, a, a good custom, something. There, here comes another idea in Judaism. Let's say you decide that from now on, I'm going to start doing a certain mitzvah even better. Okay? Um, let's give ourselves um, an example. Let's give ourselves an example. You always made um, Kiddush on the cheapest wine that existed because you need wine for Kiddush. Then one day you said, you know what? Hashem, I want to show you that I love doing your mitzvah right and I'm going to spend more money on a, on a better wine. Okay? If you do that three times, the next three kiddushes, you do it at the higher standard, you're not allowed to go back and stop doing it like that. It's considered to be like a, like, like, like almost like, like you, you're, you're, you're doing this on purpose to show a negative thing. Ah, now, now I don't want to do it nice anymore. You can't do that. Once you undertake to do something, you got to, if you did it three times, or if you didn't say the words, Beli Neder, means I'm doing this without a promise, right? So then it's called a pshia. You're actually now causing loss. Maybe, I'm sure you could think of probably many examples like that. And many things that you do, that you undertake. For example, I'll give another example. A person that says that, that um, they appointed you to be uh, a certain position in the shul, let's say to be the gabai, right? If you say, I'm going to do this for three months or three Shabbosim, and, you know, that's it. I'm not making a promise to do this further. Then that's one story. But if you, you undertook and all of a sudden you say, no, no, I don't want to be the gabai anymore. You're degrading the position now. It's a community position. He brings it down in a footnote here, similar to what is brought down in another Talmud, that Rav once said that if you want an example of desecrating Hashem's name, he said, look at me. <laughs> he said, if I will go to the butcher shop and I won't pay for my meat right away, I'll say, eh, I'm the rabbi, give it to me on credit, I'll come back in six months and pay you. That's called desecrating Hashem's name because you're held to a much higher standard. So the point is, once you're held in a hither mitzvah, in a more beautifying way of doing it, you're held at a higher standard, you can't just go back so easily. How much more so it's so for a convert? A convert that stops to do mitzvahs, of course, his entire conversion becomes a question now. Like we know, conversion for a Jew is like a condition called sapachas, which is like one of the shades of leprosy condition. In other words, because it's like something like the leprosy conditions, the shades, we're not 100% the biggest experts in all the different shades, what is, what isn't, you know? So for a convert to be able to do mitzvahs perfectly, it's very difficult challenging challenge. And therefore, according to law, you have to tell the person that's going through a, a convert, you're supposed to, a conversion, you, you have to tell him, what, what, what fell into your head that you want to convert? 
Live up a good life. Eat whatever you see. What's your, what are you, sugar? Why are you doing this to yourself? But if the person still says, I'm determined I want to join the Jewish people. And he didn't think about all the difficulties that are that lie ahead of him. Right? And then all of a sudden he says, you know, I can't do it. This is too much for me. Three times a day I got to pray? Every time before I eat bread, I have to wash my hands? Every time I come out of the bathroom, I have to say a bracha. You know, starts, this, is, this is like becoming, you know, I feel like I'm in a prison. You know? So it's considered to be a pshia. It's considered to be a negative thing. Once you undertook the conversion, you can't just go back. It doesn't work like that. It's a serious thing. Therefore, without the Mishnah from Ben Hei, that according to the amount of pain you have, you're going to get more reward, I would think that you don't get any reward for the pain. Just like a employee that did not undertake. Sorry, just like an employee that had undertaken himself. That he says, I'm going to help you, my boss, and I'm going to move your barrels from one side of, the, of town. I'll bring it to the storage on the other side of town. And on the way, when he's doing it, he's getting paid for his time. And the barrels broke. He's called the Pshia. He's negligent. You're negligent because you were supposed, you were doing your job. You're supposed to do it right. So from here you see that if that you must have been being careless and you're negligent. If you would have been more careful, you would have not dropped any jars, bottles, whatever, while you were carrying this. And therefore, if you were negligent and you did not do it right and you broke the vessels, I don't have to pay you for this. As a matter of fact, actually, the worker has to pay the owner for being negligent. Obviously, if you could prove that it's his fault. But if he wasn't careful enough, it's his problem. You hired him for this. So therefore, we say, according to the pain, is the reward. Even when the person undertook the pain, that could cause a loss to his master, or in our case, you could cause a loss, so to speak, to Hashem, because I undertook to do an extra diligence in a mitzvah more than I was required to. And I did it three times. So I'm held now at a higher standard. Now I went back. I'm negligent. You would think now since I'm negligent, I get nothing. Therefore, comes the Mishnah to tell you, now you understand what we're talking about. We're talking about your negligence of a higher level of the extra requirements, not the, your minimal requirement, your extra duty. And for that, I'm going to give you a reward. That's what Ben Hehe is teaching us. And just like in this case, if you move the barrels from one place to the other, there's a law that if the, the worker that was said, please let me do this job, and you gave it to him, if he says, my boss, please, 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 I beg you, pay me. I don't have food to eat. Then, guess what? The boss is supposed to act beyond his requirements and give him his reward. You're not required, remember, because he damaged it. 
He was negligent. But if he says, I don't have any food, you must give it to him. But it's still called beyond the letter of the law. So let's summarize so far. When ben Hehe says, according to the pain is the reward, we're talking now about the extra pain that you undertook that you did not need to undertake on your own. Nobody forced you into this. You decide on your own, I want to do mitzvahs better. More beautified. I want to spend more money on doing a mitzvah better. I remember in 1991, 92 maybe it was, and the Rebbe said that Jews should have a lot of money. He didn't want there should be poor Jews. He said Jews should have a lot of money. And he said two things why you should have a lot of money. He said you should have a lot of money so you could give a lot of tzedakah and you should have a lot of money so that you could do mitzvahs in a much higher standard. That's what, why, why else does a Jew need money? <laughs> what, do you, what do you need money for? Like he once said to somebody, well, you need to have an extra zero in the end of your bank account? Obviously, a Jew needs money for the, one of these two reasons, or both of them, to give more tzedakah and to be able to do mitzvahs more beautifully. So when it says, you undertook these levels on your own, that's what he's telling you. That even the extra pain levels that you didn't have to do, or like the convert, because Ben Hey himself, we said it was the convert, that's why he's called Hey Hey, to remind us this point, that the convert himself says, every convert that c- converts didn't have to, and they did it on their own. They went through this extra step. And you could think that if he can't handle that extra steps of perfectionist and mitzvahs, so he's totally negligent, you should know, because he undertook to push himself for this, he gets extra reward. Now let's continue. And even though that the rule is that it's a mitzvah, to go beyond the letter of the law and give him his reward when he can't, doesn't have food. It's talking about specifically when the boss gained out of what he did. I asked you to move the barrels or you to, undertook to move my barrels from this place to that place. And since I was happy with what you did, therefore, even if one barrel broke, I still have to pay you because I was satisfied with it. For example... While you were carrying it, you you walked maybe on a place that the floor wasn't so perfectly, uh, you know, even, and therefore a barrel broke. And the the but but in transferring most of the barrels got to the other side, there was more gain in the amount that got lost on that barrel. So the boss is happy with what you did. The fact is, you got it moved over there. Therefore, the owner, because of the practice of Chassidus, meaning the practice of going beyond the letter of the law, you give him his full wage because you gained that much out of it. So it, because it, in other words, you give him his full wage, not just what you gained profit out of the barrels being now in a good, good new place. You give him because I gained out of it. And therefore, it's the same thing over here. Since the owner, which is Hashem, he's the boss. He's happy when a Jew undertakes extra exertion, extra pain to do a mitzvah extra properly. But it could be that you did it without a blineder. You didn't say the words without a promise and therefore it could be considered to be that it wasn't so perfect. Nevertheless, Hashem says, since overall I gain out of it, you got 99% of my barrels to where they have to go. I won broke. 
I don't care. I still will be obligated to pay you for the entire thing because at the end of the day, the transferring of all the stuff was already worth it to me, even though some broke on the way. Same to here. A convert who converts, even though the conversion himself is a great idea. By the way, I remember one time a shliach came from Italy and he, um, and he brought with him a non-Jew by, to Sunday by dollars to front of the Rebbe. And he said to the Rebbe that this man is going through the conversion process. And the Rebbe said to him, since conversion is a great thing, why are you delaying it? Go right away and do the conversion. I think they did the conversion that afternoon even. Because the Rebbe said, it's a good thing, why delay it? So the point is that since conversion is something that is a good thing for the boss, meaning a good thing for Hashem. And by the way, a fascinating footnote here. Very well, very worthwhile for to share this, at least this footnote. It says in the book of Ruth, which we all know Ruth was the, the convert, and we learn a lot of the laws of conversion from the story of Ruth. So he brings down, and just in short, he says over here that the payment that Hashem pays to, to the worker, that's the verse in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. So it says over there that why are converts, why do converts nowadays, in other words, our generations now, why do they go through pain and suffering? It's like a hard process to convert, even after they convert, you know, they, they don't feel always 100%, you know, li- like a born, you know? So he says the reason is because they delayed the process to convert. Therefore, they're getting a little bit of, you know, some pain later. Because in other words, the point is what this footnote he's bringing down, from obviously from a few commentaries here, but from a tracted in Yavamos Talmud. But the point is that since conversion is something that's a beautiful thing when it gets done by for our boss, for Hashem. So even though there may be later a negligence where you can't keep up in a certain area to do so perfect every meticulous detail that must be done as a Jew... Nevertheless, you get the reward as a convert. Because, think of it as the analogy with transferring for a boss, transferring for him, let's just say, a hundred barrels of wine. You took it from one place to the other place. And if I have this merchandise in the other place, I'll make a fortune, right? Ah, you broke a few on the way. Okay, so you broke a few on the way. But the boss got most of it there. He gets a tremendous value out of that. Therefore, he has to pay you for the entire thing. And that's the novelty here of Ben Hehe. Now we could say even more that this, what the, the, the author of the Mishnah here says, that according to the reward, the, the pain is the gain. We call him with a nickname, Ben Hehe, to stress the fact that he was a convert. Even though, really, even a born Jew could reach the same level of pain and suffering in doing a mitzvah, in a mitzvah that you're not obligated to do or the degree of doing it, but you could be, the born Jew, could become like the level of a convert. For a convert, he didn't need to do anything of it. But for the born Jew, if he does some things or whatever he's going to do that you're going to undertake some pain and suffering, you now reached actually to the level of the convert. In this aspect, right? And to explain this more, he says like this. What's the whole purpose of the birth of a Jew? 
You know, like somebody texts me today, says, Rabbi, we're going to have competition on tonight's class with the game. I said, I don't think it's competition with any, any game. A person knows the value of Torah. How can you compare the two things? Right? What's the purpose of a Jew? Is all about, as the phrase goes, l'shamesh eskainei, to serve your master. That's all we're here for. We're here for one thing, to serve our master. So it's understood that we have to use out all our strength to serve our master. Like the sages tell us that every Jew is obligated to say, when will my performance of mitzvahs reach the level of the way Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the way they did it? Therefore, it's hard for a Jew to find something that's actually difficult to do to serve Hashem. Because nothing's difficult for you. All you want to do is serve Hashem. Even things that are beyond the letter of the law, ideas like like Hasidic way of life. At the end of the day, it's not something that I want to shrug off my responsibility. I'm excited to do it because I know it's part of my serving my the, the Creator. But by a convert, it's different. Before he converts, there's no obligation for him to convert. On the opposite, we're supposed to tell him, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? So his undertaking is completely on his own. Nevertheless, the idea of giving him reward is brought down where? Where do we say this idea? To bring, that you get more reward based on your pain? In Pirkei Avos. Because to teach us, it's not just a law just for, for converts. It's a law for every Jew. That when you undertake to do more things, even if there's pain involved, no matter what, even things that I'm not obligated to do based on the literal level of Jewish law, and certainly, if it's not my nature to do it, I'm not used to doing it, it's going to require for me to change my habits. It's just like a convert who undertakes these extra responsibilities that he doesn't need to take. And even more, the Mishnah says, where's the Mishnah written? At the end of Pirkei Avos. As we said in the beginning, the end of chapter 5, that's really the end of Pirkei Avos. Chapter 6 is a different thing. It's a brysa. It was added, it was added later to have, to have 6. You have 6 weeks between pays or whatever for different reasons. But really the actual Mishnahs of Pirkei Avos finished the end of chapter 5. What's the highest peak of all 5 is to this one statement of ben Hehe That the reward comes according to the amount of pain that you have. And said by who? By the convert. Where is it printed? In Pirkei Avos. So every Jew understands that it's for them too. Now, on this that we said in the beginning, that the reward for a mitzvah is actually also an obligation of halacha to pay reward. That in other words, Hashem has to pay for every time you do Torah mitzvahs. You could ask the question that the category of do uh, by a person, the obligation for a person to pay their worker is when... When you don't have an obligation to do it. In other words, you're not obligated to work for me. I hire you to, to, to do my gardens. Now I have to pay you. If you had to do my garden, I don't have to pay you. Right? If a parent tells their child, can you please shovel the snow? You have to pay your child to shovel the snow. You live here. It's part of this. Right? I mean, you can give them a candy. Fine, but that's not real payment. But if you hire somebody down the street that's not obligated to clean your snow or do your garden 
and you hire, then you talk, you really have to pay him. So to like a slave, a, a servant, a, a actual or a real slave. In the times when we had slaves, in the Torah you have slaves. When do you have slaves? If a person stole and he doesn't have money to pay back his master, the person who he stole, he's allowed to sell himself to be a slave. So he makes some money to pay it back, right? So you're obligated to your master. You can't just get money for whatever you want. So too, right? We said, like we said, we said like with the son. So now, since the relationship of a Jew to God, as we say on Yom Tov, we say, Im Kabanim, Im Kavadim, after the shofar blowings, we say this Rosh Hashanah. Whether I'm like this, uh, the verses in the Torah that say that we are like his children, or whether like the verses in the Torah that say that we are like his servants, and even more, the purpose of a Jew that you were created to begin with was to serve Hashem. So it's self-understood that this, that you're obligated to serve your master, it's even more than the amount, than the obligation that there is for a servant to their master. And certainly more than the obligation from a son to their father. So how could we say here that a Jew is deserves, that, that, in other words, that, that Hashem must pay us? What do you mean he must pay us? This is what we're here for. We're his children. You have to pay us. So to explain this, he says like this. In, in Torah and mitzvahs, there's two, there's two ways of looking at the Torah, at Torah and mitzvahs. There's two categories. One is the way Hashem gives it to us, and one is the way we receive it. We, where do you see this? You see this, for example, it says that if a person is impure and you learn Torah, the Torah doesn't become impure. Why? The Torah stays like it's the God-given Torah doesn't become contaminated down here on this world. The Torah is called the words, my words of fire, Hashem says. Nevertheless, we find that if a sage, a great rabbi that says, I forgive my honor, we let him forgive his honor. If he says, I don't want to sit in the front, I, I don't, don't honor me, don't give me any respect, you could do that. Why? Because the Torah is his. He has the rights to do that. So you see two sides. On one hand, the Torah is pure, never becomes contaminated, it's still godly even when it's down here. The other hand, it becomes yours down here. And the same too, we find it with the responsibilities of learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. You have also two sides to it. Because there's a category of the person who gives it, of Hashem giving the Torah. In other words, it's a way the Jew is obligated to do Torah and mitzvahs. And you have to serve like a fa- like a child has to serve their father or like a, a servant to their master. And because and the, and with this part, the receiver who learns the Torah has an obligate obligation that's connected to reward. In other words, when you separate into two into two different points. You also find two categories in mitzvahs, for example. You have certain mitzvahs, the law is, you're supposed to kill yourself and never forsake, don't forgo and do the sin of that sin. Of that sin. There are three mitzvahs. If, you're, if, you're, if, if uh, they pull a gun to you and they say, bow down to this idol, you have to accept to be killed. You're not allowed to idol. Um, to do public promiscuity, you're not allowed to. You have to accept the death penalty the death punishment. Or if they say, kill that person or I'll kill you, yet yeah, you cannot kill somebody else. 
right? Those three things have a law called Yahareg Val Yaver. Get yourself killed, you're not allowed to do it. All other mitzvahs, opposite. Yaver, do the sin, but don't get killed for it. So if they force, they say, if you don't, if you're going to eat this food, if you, you must eat this non-kosher food or we'll kill you. You're allowed to eat the non-kosher food in that circumstance, right? And the theory, the thinking is, because better to sin once and you could have many more times to do the mitzvah, right? But so what's, why? Why is this? Because it depends. When it comes from a part of the Torah that was given to us and it becomes ours, we adopt it, then there's limitations to the mitzvah. If it's Hashem's, the way Hashem is the whole time and never changes, there's no limitation. Therefore, the way Hashem's perspective is, you cannot forsake it and go over it. That's just the general idea of these two different ways. Now, regarding the reward for Torah mitzvahs, the categories that are, that create the guidelines for a person doing a mitzvah is in the way you do the mitzvah according to your pain. That's what Hey Hey said. Lefum tsara, according to your tsar, how much you accept upon yourself. How much do you accept upon yourself? The person accepts upon that's how much reward you get. And therefore, here we could come to an additional idea in the idea of pain connected specifically with this book of Perkyavos. The whole thing here of Perkyavos is going to be on the letter of the law. Where, what's, this is the last Mishnah. What's the first Mishnah of the whole book of Perkyavos? In chapter 1 it says, Moses received the Torah on Sinai. Moshe kibbal Torah Sinai, and he gave it over to Joshua. Joshua gave it to the elders, to the prophets, and men of the great assembly. Why does it say, why does it start, Moshe received the Torah? Why doesn't it start, God gave Moshe the Torah? We're not just looking to ask a question on everything, but it makes sense, this question. Why do you say Moshe received it? You should say, Hashem gave it to him. And the reason is because we want to emphasize the same point that we're emphasizing at the end of the whole Perkyavis. It's about the person. It's about us. According to your pain, it's about the person that receives the Torah. We're not emphasizing here the godly part. We're emphasizing the human part that, it's, that accepts it. And that's always interesting because there's always a connection between the beginning of a, of a Mishnah book and the end of a Mishnah book. And that's this point here too. Now, based on this idea, you can continue that the pain is relevant to the person himself who gets, who accepts upon himself this pain and suffering. It's talking about a person that accepts it upon himself and he's completely devoted to do this. And here you see another thing. When did, when it says that when we got the Torah on Mount Sinai, we were all considered to be converts. We like started fresh. We had to undertake the idea to do, to do this. And now you're going to see if you thought that Hey Hey had an interesting name. The Mishnah right before Ben Hey Hey has a guy whose name is Ben Bag Bag. He didn't come from Baghdad. His name was Bag Bag. B A G B A G in Hebrew, Bez Gimel, Ben Bag Bag. First, what did he say? And then we'll talk about his name. Ben Bag Bag said, he said, work hard in learning Torah because it's all in the Torah. He said, that's what he said. He said, break your head, learn Torah because it's all there. Very interesting. Ben Bagbag was also a convert. The commentaries say that this wasn't really his name. 
He was also lived in a time where we had, because of the tattertailers that would go to the government and say, ah, this guy converted to Judaism, he would be in danger, so we had to give him a nickname, and they called him Bagbag. Why? How much is the letters Bez and Gimel for Bag? Bez is two, Gimel is three. So two plus three is five. Just like Hey Hey's name was the two Hey's for the extra Hey from Avram and the extra Hey of Sarah, we called them Hey Hey. So Bag Bag is Bez Gimel adds is five, and Bag is five. So he has also the two fives hidden in his name. So that's a famous thing. It's a fat, fat. Another commentary says say that Bag Bag is Ben Gear and Ben Giyaris. He was the son of a convert and the, of a of a male convert and the son of a of a, a mother was a convert. Ben Gear and Ben Giyaris. That's why his name was Ben was Bag Bag to tell you that. But it's the same point here. He's called at the idea to tell you not with his real name, but with a nickname, which emphasizes the idea for us to understand that these people were converts. To tell you the idea that helps us to understand when he says you should learn, it's all there in the learning. Since, now, what's the difference of a non-Jew and a Jew when it comes to learning, Tyra? If a no, every non-Jew is really what you call a Ben Noach. They're considered to be descendants of Noah, which meaning that they're supposed to follow the seven Noah laws, the seven Noah laws. Now, in order to practice the laws, you actually have to study the Torah to know your laws. Otherwise, how can you practice them properly? Every law has many details to the laws. So the seven laws, you could be studying them for weeks and months and years. And it actually says that a non-Jew, a guy who studies the Torah to know how to practice, how to be a good guy, he actually be, could become considered to be the level of a Kohen Gadol. Like that's how, you know, special that is if he undertakes to do that. Now, nevertheless, what's interesting is, is his learning Torah doesn't have the value of learning Torah. It only has the value of being able to practice the things he needs to practice. The Jew doesn't learn only the Torah to do the laws, to practice the laws. For that, you could come on our Sunday morning class and that's enough. You know how to practice to be a Jew. You learn Shulchan Aruch. But a Jew learns all parts of the Torah, even the parts that are just God's wisdom. It may not have to do with helping you how to light your candles. You're talking about all kinds of other things that are not just the parts that are the practical mitzvahs. And that's what Ben Bagbag came to say here. To tell you that the commandment is here, learn Torah. And when did he recognize this? As a convert, he recognized this. And now we could also understand, this is kind of the conclusion of this is, we could start to understand the connection between these last two statements. If the Mishnah puts two Mishnahs, one after the next, it's precise. But Bagbag said, learn, learn away. Toil and toil. But hey, he said, according to the pain, you get reward. The message of both of them have different connections to converts. But it's precise. First, he tells you learn. Because he's talking about the value of learning. And after that, he tells you the value of practicing 
mitzvahs, which is the pain, or could be associated with effort and pain. Because what's the whole purpose of learning Torah? It's to get to the practicing of it. To learn on its own, just and stop, it's missing. You need to get to the mitzvahs. Now, even the names of these authors teach us something so special. Understanding these names, Bagbag bag, and hey, hey, they're not just jokes of names, you know, we pulled them out of the hat. These are serious things. The fact that the Mishnah tells you who these authors are is because there's something there to teach us here. And that is the following. There is an opinion that says that Bagbag bag and hey, hey are actually even the same person. But because they were telling you two different statements, therefore we have two different names for them. But the, the point is, the fact that we are using two different names must tell us that it's differentiating something. And that is that Hey Hey tells you that it's revealed in his name, his connection to Abraham and Sarah, because they each had a Hey. Bagbag's name is teaching you that it's concealed. I have to now figure it out. It's not so simple, right? All of us here in the class, everybody knew what hey hey is, but bag bag, yeah, you have to think a little bit. Bayes Gimel adds to five, uh, right? So yeah, it mean, that means teaching you in the subtle, deep way it's teaching you is that there's two stages in our relationship with Hashem. One is where things are concealed and you got to, Reveal it. And one, it's that's to begin with revealed. When he says, learn, 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 he's telling you, because what's the whole purpose of learning? It's to understand the Torah. And not just when to understand it, how to practice it, but to understand things of halacha. As a matter of fact, we know that you could study and study Torah just for the sake of discussion. And when you finish that discussion, you discuss it even more. And you may not get even to a conclusion of something that's relevant to practice, but it's all part of discussion of the Torah. And by the way, elsewhere we learned that the Rebbe brings down halacha. You still have to say the bracha of Asher Bacha Banu, no in Torah, before you even learn that. And like many commentaries explain, the meaning of what it says, afachba vafachba, it says toil and toil. You know why it says toil and toil? The commentaries say that in laws of purity and impurity, there's 49 ways how you can learn one law and determine that this is impure. And then there's 49 logical ways that you could argue that this is all pure. Meaning the more you're going to toil, the more faces you will find, more aspects, more colors, more components to the Torah. Both views are part of the Torah. The view that you see it like this and the view you see it like that, as long as it's for the sake of trying to to pull out ideas of Torah that's all part of it. And this is what it means, the difference between the two statements. According to the pain is the gain and and to study away. The difference is reveal or, or conceal. Pain that a Jew gets by accepting upon themselves something, that has to do with revealed stuff. It doesn't, it's not a secret when it's painful, when it costs, when it causes more, um, you know, effort. But toil is already a new thing. I have to toil to think and bring it out, reveal this information of the Torah. That's called revealing. And that's why the statement about toil in Torah, that was said by Bagbag. His name shows that things are concealed. The statement about suffering, that's it's all in the open suffering. You don't have to go too far. That was said by Hey Hey, because his name, his letter Hayes were out there in the open. And with this, we conclude this tractate of 
the Pirkei Avos, and this was a, a collection, as I said earlier, from uh, a seum that the Rebbe made on the Yud Shvat, for bringing a Yud Gimel, 13th of Shvat, and a 15th of Shvat in 1979.